I'm Steve. We have got, I think, what's going to be a really good show. We always say that, but um, we have got a special guest who has quite a bit of knowledge about a topic that isn't being talked enough about. Before we bring her on, I just want to remind you to follow us at Utah Radio. That's U-T-A-L-K Radio, so you can keep up on all the things that we're doing and new stuff and uh, guests like on today's show at Utah Radio. Make sure you follow us. Our guest on today's show is going to help us understand what we don't know That's right, what we don't know about the drug market. We have a huge crisis. I'm not sure we talk enough about it. It's not that it's a panic thing, it's an education thing, which our guest will help us understand in a much better way. Ann Cottrell works her dream job, she told me, with SAS, which is a world-renowned analytics company. Uh, In fact, that's the same company that our very own Dr. Josh works with. Uh, She wants to help young adults fill in the gap knowledge with the drug market to help save lives. So there's gaps out there. We want to fill those in. That's going to happen on today's show. Um, and thank you for taking time to join us on the show today. This is awesome. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, no. Our pleasure. Hey, let's just jump right into things, okay? Because there's so much. In fact, we noticed this the other day. We talked on the phone kind of prepping for the show. There's so much to talk about. I want to squeeze every minute out that we can. Um How did we get to this point with fentanyl and opioid waves? You know, that's, we can, we can start, why don't we start with the timeline and and go back and a lot of your audience isn't going to go back to the seventies, but some of us do. Very few. (laughs) (laughs) But, but back in the seventies, it was cocaine and, you know, drugs came from plants and we migrated from cocaine and then we went to crack cocaine. It was cheaper and an alternative. But really what I think about the whole time with the drug crisis is think about it as a balloon. And every time you squeeze one piece of the balloon, it pops hmm. out somewhere else, you know. Huh. And so we had the, the, the cocaine and we went to crack cocaine. And then there was this other thing called MDMA, which was known as ecstasy. And, and yes. the, the, you know, there was these rave dances and, you know, people would stay up all night and dance. But they weren't dying. They weren't overdosing on this drug. And then in the mid-90s, we kind of transitioned and we went to meth, methamphetamine. And people okay. were either at home and in their laboratories or whatever. But I think Breaking Bad tells the whole story, right? <laughs> we have these good cartels. Absolutely, and yeah. So then what happened really that caused the, the first wave of the opioid crisis was there was a company called Purdue. And they had a drug that they invented, OxyContin. It was sustained release opioid drug and they falsely marketed that it was non-addictive because it was the sustained release drug Hmm. and so typically opioids were saved for people that had you know life-threatening pain like cancer and it was treated for really really bad pain but now under this marketing they they said nobody should have pain we can treat this safely without any problem and so It was really, you know, false advertising, and we now know that it is addictive. And just to give you some context and some numbers, in the 1995-96, 
Oxycontin sold about $44 million. By the early 2000s, their sales were up to $3 billion. Whoa! And, huge and so we profit. had this huge amount of profit, and then we had millions and millions and millions of people that became addicted to opioids. Mm. And so then what happened was our federal government started to crack down, and we started these things called PDMPs in their prescription drug monitoring databases. So they would keep track of every prescription drug for an opioid that went out. And so, you know, kind of like a good watchdog, as, as, as somebody's watching, dispensing rates, they peaked in around 2010 to 2012, but then ever since, opioid prescriptions have declined. For the last mm. 10 years, legal opioid prescriptions have declined. Unfortunately, deaths have gone in the opposite direction starting around 2010 and until last year we had a record of over 108,000 people died of overdose of drugs that you know to, to quantify that that's like 300 people a day whoa that's a lot of people and it's interesting because you said that there was a legal change but yet more people are dying from it so they're getting them someplace which means they're getting them that's, on the street, black market, whatever. That's the so. next part of the story in the timeline yeah. then. So we have this decline of supply of legal opioids. So we see this rise in heroin, and that started the, the death rate. And then around 2013 to 2015, we had illegal fentanyl hit the market. Mm. So fentanyl is a legal prescription drug. It can be you know given in the OR as an injection for pain. Sure. There's also these things called fentanyl patches. And so they were originally prescribed for cancer patients. You put a patch on, it lasts 72 hours. You get sustained release of this you know, strong narcotic but controls pain. And it was for cancer people. But to tell you how potent fentanyl is, it's um, 50 times more potent than heroin and 100 times more potent than morphine. And, wow. and, and so where do we get that's that? crazy two milligrams of fentanyl which is about the think about a pencil and a tip okay. of a pencil or a couple grains of salt two milligrams will kill someone now let me stop you for just a sec two grains of salt two, for some yeah. reason some I, kept thinking, I kept thinking two grain when we, when we talked the other day i kept thinking two grains of rice that's a huge difference Two, two milligrams grains of salt is, is two, about yeah. a couple grains of salt, right? It, That's it'll kill. crazy. That yeah. is. By the way, I got to interrupt you for a second. You truly are. When we said, how should we refer to you? You said, oh. I'm a pharmacist and a data nerd. You are. I mean, that's, <laughs> this is crazy. No, I mean, this is good because the average person doesn't understand this. And that timeline is good for us to see um, because it's been a gradual increase. And and fentanyl is is... I, I mean, it, it almost seems like, well, definitely weekly, I live in Southern California, we're hearing about, um, you know, young adults dying from a fentanyl overdose right. uh, or being hospitalized. You know, it's huge. It's, 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 and it's tragic. There's no question. And so that gets you to the point of where, did, where how did it get here? And, yeah. And I mean, how did it get here? Where did it come from? What, the, what is all that? The supply of fentanyl is coming from China. China is a big exporter of chemicals, all chemicals, and okay. they actually incentivize 
chemical companies. And China has been the supplier to the United States in the black market, but then they also supply to Mexico. And mm. Mexico ends up being the deliverer of the product. In 2019, China banned fentanyl. It's illegal. But what is not illegal is the precursors to fentanyl. And so now what's happening is China is sending these precursor chemicals over to Mexico. The cartels are taking these precursors and making, think about high school chemistry, right? And, and we have, <laughs> We've got some I, high school students listening. So, I, I hope and so. Watching, I so. hope that they're paying attention and, and uh, you know, you, you have your molecules and your, your compounds and your benzene rings, etc. And these rogue chemists are just changing the molecule a little bit and, and making fentanyl itself or some kind of um, substitute fentanyl. So in 2010, there used to be about two different types of analogs. There was fentanyl and carfentanil. Okay. In the drug seizure, the fentanyl seizure logs from the drug, drug enforcement or from law enforcements in 2021 had 43 different analogs of fentanyl. You know, so so there's no shortage of these rogue chemists making new compounds. And yeah. it's not just fentanyl there. You'll, you'll hear like ISO was a new compound. They're taking benzodiazepines and taking new compounds. So they, they call these things novo-psychoactive substances. So there's all different kinds of supply of drugs that they're not, they're, they're just illicit. Now, are so, these all opioid type of drugs then? Some, the fentanyl is opioid, but, but some of these other compounds are not. You know, they're just- But other, they're deadly. They can be deadly, especially in combination. Hmm. And I, I take it there's a lot of these being combined then and exactly. put out on the market. It's exactly what's huh. happening right now. So the, the third wave of overdoses in that wave was called fentanyl. And right now we're in something called the fourth wave. And again, like I said, that balloon and we push it out, right? And, sure. and we squeeze it, we squeeze the supply. And so a lot of people are afraid of fentanyl now and they're going to other drugs. We're seeing a rise in stimulant drugs. So hmm. Amphetamines and, and then the drugs that treat attention deficit, you know, like the, the Ritalins and, and different drugs like that. Yeah. And, and so a lot of people are mixing and they're calling this the polysubstance phase, mm. where when people are overdosing and they're doing toxicology reports, they have a combination of cocaine, methamphetamines, stimulants, fentanyl, whatever. A lot of times people don't understand what drugs they're taking from their drug dealer. And, Interesting. And they probably don't know, too. I was talking to a, uh, my cousin's wife, who's a, a nurse who writes curriculum and teaches and all that kind of stuff. And she goes, what young adults don't understand is where their drug is coming from. They may say, oh, I'm getting this from a friend, but they don't know where the friend got it from. So we don't know all that's gone into it before they get it and before they take it. Right. And, and I think that that's the, that's the biggest takeaway that, that I hope your, your, your listeners will, will learn today is that these places in Mexico and whatever, and they're making these drugs and, and they're mixing, be it whatever, fentanyl with their, you know, cocaine or whatever. But the other thing that they're doing is they're taking these, this fentanyl and they're mixing it and they're, they're making counterfeit pills. And, and so oh. they, they, they take this powder and, you know, either in a lab or in a coffee grinder and, and they okay. make them, they press them, they buy pill pressers and they make these drugs counterfeit and they look exactly like a generic oxycodone with the, with the exact 
imprint that the mm. companies have. They make them look like the Xanax two milligram, you know, log. They look like the Adderall. They look like OxyContin. And so people that buy these have really, it's sometimes when you look at the counterfeit, you cannot distinguish which is real and which is a counterfeit. Wow. And so, you know, we talked about this, that the drug dealers, you know, you kind of think they have a hoodie and they're standing on the street corner. And, <laughs> and, and that's not the drug dealer anymore. The drug dealer, they're on your phone. They're, they're, yeah. they're on kids' phones and, and they're on Snapchat and Instagram. And they have icons that, you know, emojis and different things about where you can pick up some drugs. But do you really know what you're getting? Are you getting a prescription or are you getting a fentanyl lace counterfeit and and that's the tragedy and i think that's what mm. happens with most people they think that maybe they're getting an oxycodone and they're getting fentanyl and then they're dead oh, i guess i keep thinking about going back to your timeline for a moment and listening to you know all these different combinations and 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 china making it illegal but then turning around and selling pushing stuff out to mexico where something can be recreated by moving molecules around and all that kind of stuff has the desire has the need if you will use that word probably not the best word increased in over this timeline that you described because it it seems like i mean there are so many people using stuff or is it just getting more attention because social media and all that? I, I think that we had a decline in the death rates prior to 2019. For about two years, we had a steady decline in overdose deaths. And I really think the tragedy of COVID and the isolation and all of the ramifications oh. of the pandemic have caused such an increase you know, and, and I think there's a desperation in our society a little bit too, you know. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And then the other thing that happened was COVID was so front and center that these overdose kind of got second fiddle. And and now they're just coming to light, you know, that, that, that there's there's a re-energized re attention to it, and rightfully so. The other thing that's happening in, in, on a good front is that because of, the overdose crisis and the addiction crisis. There's been a lot of lawsuits that have happened. Mm -hmm. And the, a lot, uh, the attorney generals of all the states have sued and they've sued everyone, you know, the, the pharma makers, um, they've, they've sued the distributors, the wholesalers, they're suing the pharmacies. And there's a lot of money. Just this distributor lawsuit alone is bringing in $26 billion over of years. Um, the federal government has allocated, I think that we did a time at, at, at SAS, we did a amount of money that's being allocated to the states for mm -hmm. distribution, and it's, it's, it's well over $40 billion, plus there's all kinds of SAMHSA grants and things like that, and it's for opioid remediation, and so it's used to a three-prong approach where they want to get the drugs off the streets, so public and safety, you know, to, to do the... Sure. The criminal justice system they're putting a lot of money towards treatment hopefully and this is where with with the the data and the analytics you want the money to go where best outcomes yeah can be for sure and so you know you use data to drive you know evidence-based decisions of what's the best use of the money and a lot of it is for treatment there is treatment mm. for addiction and then the other one is harm reduction which is something new 
and harm reduction is programs in place so that you keep people alive until they can get treated. Oh. And so um, the biggest one is there's a drug called Narcan, and it's okay. an emergency. It's, it's injected into the nose. It's a nasal spray, and it's called an opioid antagonist, and mm. it can reverse an overdose. I mean, literally people, they're blue. They stop breathing. Wow. They're almost dead, and a dose of Narcan in the nose can reverse the effects and, and give that person a second chance. Huh. And so, now, are, are EMTs, paramedics, people like that, first responders, do they have access? They, they, they have, have, they have access to it. And, and now the federal government made it that you don't need a prescription for Narcan. You can get Narcan at any drugstore. You know? And so loved ones that know that they have an addict in their family Mm-hmm. You know, they're well advised to, to have Narcan in the house just in case. Wow. And, but it's and a good thing. If it's it, it's, save it's a really good life, thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a real good thing. Sometimes people need second chances, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's not a, a linear path towards, you know, successful treatment. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times people relapse, but, you know, everybody deserves that next chance again. No, for sure. And and you've kind of led us into uh, another thing I've been wrestling with as you're talking is how, what needs to happen then to reverse this epidemic? I think that's a really good point. And, and I think there's really three things. And one of them we're doing tonight. One is that we education. So okay. That, so that people don't make that choice to get addicted. You know, a lot of times it's by chance, but if you can stop it, I feel very strongly that nobody likes to be told what to do. I'm not going to be sitting here saying, don't do drugs. You know, it never works. But I think that if you empower people with knowledge to make their own decisions, you know, in pharmacy school, we were all about risk and reward. And and so you you kind of balance that. And and so for anyone out there, if, if you can empower yourself with the knowledge of what can happen, you know, maybe you can make the best decision for yourself. And so the first thing is to stop people from getting addicted. See, I like that. What you just said is risk and reward. You know, if we can just back up a little, I might've mentioned to you, I do school assemblies and my whole thing is about choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start, I'm going to add that kind of to the to what I share, because uh, what's the risk versus what's the reward? If you're going to, whatever it is you're going to do, yeah. whether it's drugs or, or anything else, what is the reward and what's the risk? Is the risk worth the reward? But it it's means exactly. we have to, you know, we've got to balance that out. We've got to, and we've got to stop long enough to at least consider that. Anyway, second, what's the next thing? So, so we have to treat those that have one. Okay. And so we have to treat those that, that have an addiction problem. And, and the first thing is to get rid of the stigma. Addiction is a disease, period. Mm-hmm. You know, and let's just get rid of the stigma about it. And there is treatment for it. That's the thing that, you know, I worked in a pharmacy and I saw firsthand the, the evils of what dispensing this drug and, and, and seeing yeah. awful things. But then I also had the reward of dispensing. There's something called MAT. It's medication assisted treatment. 
Okay. And it's evidence-based medicine. So there's there's three drugs that are used. Buprenorphine, which the brand name is called Suboxone. And okay. So that's one drug. You know, typically it's it's sublingual, like it's you know <laughs> under your tongue, or you can put it on your tongue. It's a filter. And, you know, it dissolves and what will do immediately, it gets rid of withdrawal symptoms, but then it also reduces the craving for, for people so that, you know, they can, you know, weather the storm. And, yeah. and some people are on this, these drugs for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Opioid has a really powerful addictive nature to it. Mm-hmm. The second drug, there's another one called naltrexone. It's, it's, um, can be also given as an injection called Vivitrol. And okay. it, it's once a month. It's a long-acting drug that, you know, once a month you're treated and, you know, come back every month and the same type of thing. And then the other one, and it was probably the first one, is called methadone. And so okay. yeah. treatments, Common you know. Name. Yeah. And so treat these people. And so Matt, along with counseling and behavior therapy, that's kind of the whole person or whole patient care. And Absolutely. And so there are successes out there. And, and when you see that and you see people given a, a new chance at life, it, it was really rewarding as a pharmacist to, to watch that. Oh, that, I bet. Yeah, that was. To, to be part of that process. And right. something big to be put out there, I think, is what you're saying is people that are struggling with addiction, people that are having a problem with it, they need to realize it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to ask for help. I see this all the time. Uh, recently heard about a, a high school girl who, who committed suicide, not because of addiction, but because of being bullied. And her father said she didn't feel like she could ask for help, which is a huge tragedy. And in this case, if somebody is addicted, that's even listening to this conversation, or they have a loved one that is, or a friend um, help them understand it's okay not to be okay and help them understand it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. Um, you don't have to, you know, and, and I think COVID has played havoc in that area too with so much anxiety, uh, hopelessness. I, I, it just seems, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's tragic because we don't have to live like this. I mean, COVID, I have a very good friend. We're coming up on the the one-year anniversary, I guess, of, of his death from COVID. And it's tragic, but we don't have to live under that cloud if we're struggling. It's it, Whatever it is we're struggling with is, and I, I pick, I'm picking that up from you, is, is get help. There is help out there. There's treatment out there. There's and, and, and two things I will add. There are so many people that can empathize with you. Mm. You're not the only one. So many people feel this way. And I think that anybody would be really lying to say that COVID did not affect them. It was it was really hard for everyone and yeah. especially for the youth. I mean, these these people are just young, forming their minds and, you know, kind of in the uh, figure it out stage. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're a social being and we need each other. And for sure. And, and absolutely reach out for help. There is help available. And as I said before, there is a ton of money available now for those to get help. See, and that's good to hear. I mean, we we weren't created to be an island. We need each no. other. We And especially, you know, with young adults, I find that all the time. But I think adults in general, we want relationships. We want that community. We need that. And, and yet, like you said a couple of minutes ago, we got to remove the stigma. 
You know, it's, and you don't have to broadcast it to the world. You don't, you know, have to get on a podcast and say, Hey, I, you know, uh, you don't have to go on social media and, and confess, Hey, I'm addicted, but it's going to those that are your closest to going to that, to the family, you know, maybe it's your, your birth family, maybe it's your family in your community, but go someplace, do something. And it seems like, and maybe I'm ill-informed, but it seems like we're not hearing enough about there's help available. There's money available. You don't have to, to go through this alone. You can get help with your addiction. I, are we just not educating people enough? Is that part of the problem? Um, I, I think that's probably part of the problem. And I think that, you know, it all just starts, I, if I could, you know, sum it up, like you just need to tell one person. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and get it out to one person, and then you know, let that grow from there. But mm-hmm. you have to take a step, and um, you aren't alone. There's so many people suffering like this. See, that's that's so important to remember. And and you know, I love what you just said. Tell one person. Not everybody is safe, and it's not safe to get out there and broadcast it. But one person that you trust, and I think taking that first step. Uh, I've heard that from people that have been sexually abused. You know, they hide it for years. And the the biggest step in a sense that they took was telling that one person. They finally got it out of them. They let somebody else know. And you don't have to suffer alone. There's And, and as you've said, unfortunately, there's too many people. Uh, there are many people, but maybe too many, who have struggled with this that are there to support and encourage. And knowing that there's money available, how do people access that money? Is it they go to a to a clinic, they go to a doctor, they go to a specialist? Is that I, what happens? I, I think that's all of the above. You know, there's okay. money being out there to be put out for for more treatment clinics, more providers getting the buprenorphine waiver and you know, and the money is trickling down. Each of the states have their way that they're allocating it, but actually okay. money is funneling down into the county level. And mm. so, you know, we talked about this, where do people seek help? I really do think it, it's at the local level. And, you know, I'll, I'll be it, you know, you have outreach groups, you know, Josh Morgan probably is a, a perfect person to, to say, where can you get behavioral health therapy and things? And, and I'll give a plug for independent pharmacies. That's not a bad place to, you know, okay. I say independent because I'm biased because I worked at independent pharmacies. But, you know, these people want to help. That's why they went into this profession. Okay. They're, they're all sources of resources to go seek help. Well, and with an independent pharmacy, I'm aware of a, a few in my area. It seems like you get, uh, and, and this is not a shot against corporate ones and, and, you know, that type of thing, but it seems like you get a little bit different attention from it's, an independent there pharmacy. There, there isn't the, the, the pressure to fill and, you know, do that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and again, it's it's a personal bias. I'm sorry, but I, no, I do it, think that, it's, yeah, But it's you know. something to consider, you know. I mean, it's something that we really need to consider. If, if, it's, if, you, if you need an ear, they have an ear. That's what they See, for. and that's so often, you know, we just need somebody to listen to us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and and not tell us what to do, not judge us, but say I'm here to help you. I want to. I, I you've got my ear, you've got my attention. I want to listen to you. I'm going to listen to you now. Let me see if I can help you. You know, take the next few steps. And and again, I come back to the stigma. We are so self conscious in our world today, in our culture today, and with social media and filters and all of this stuff. And you see somebody dresses way or what and 
then you realize, well, I don't, well, nobody could know what I'm going through because they're not me and I don't want to share this. We got to stop worrying about what people think. Absolutely. You know, especially when our life is on the line. When, you, when you're struggling, you're, you're dealing with pain. You don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to cope. And, and Josh and I have talked about this on the show before. We have to find better ways to cope. Um, and saying no and just don't and all these kinds of things, that, that doesn't work. And, and don't worry. I'm saying that to anybody that's watching or listening right now. Don't worry about what somebody else thinks. Be more concerned about yourself, not in a selfish way, but be concerned about your own whole person health. Um, exactly. And, and get the help that you need. Now, you and I, in our conversation the other day, we talked more about the fact, uh, and I think the picture of you <laughs> was was on the, the digital poster today. Here you are. You compete in Ironman triathlons, and you said for fun. And I'm thinking, <laughs> and I don't know you real well, but I'm not sure I would see that as fun. I mean, I'm starting to learn to like exercise more because I, I see the results, and I know it's good for me, and all those kinds of things. But, I mean, that's a massive thing to be part of, but you said something, and I, and I want you to unpack it, because I, I think it's so cool, and I, I'm not sure if I'm quoting you right, so just correct me if I'm not, but the concept was, it puts you in your zone. Yeah. I, Did I get that right? I, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head, and you know I'll just put a disclaimer out there. I'm a little bit strange. I'm absolutely a type A personality. <laughs> I, I wouldn't advocate that you have to go out and do an Ironman triathlon to be in your zone, but... I think that there's something to be said for, and, and I'm not going to say it's an addiction, but my family might argue it was a little bit for a while. <laughs> Excuse me. But, but, but there's something that happens with me personally when I exercise. And, okay. You know, especially hard, like for a really long distance. And, and I'm sure it has to do with serotonin and dopamine and, and all of the things that, that drugs enhance. But yeah. it's, it's kind of a natural uplift. And, and kind of the harder it is, the more rewarding it is. And, and so okay. I crave that feeling when I cross the finish line, my hands are up in the air. And, and it was really hard and it was painful, but there was just such joy that came to me. And hmm. I'm not I'm not advocating that anybody has to do this. I mean, honest, that's that's a little extreme sure, not sure. to the fated heart. But I think that when you say it puts me in my zone, I think that's kind of the other half of this balance in life. And it's what I found besides family and, and things of that nature. But I found something that, that puts me in a good place. And I think that's part of dealing with the whole mental health thing that you have to find something in your life that gives you joy or mm. puts you in your zone. I mean, we talked about this. You play the drums, right? Yes. And, and so, you know, how do you feel when you're playing the drums? You know? Oh, I love, I mean, it, it puts me in my zone, you know, and, and especially, I mean, I'm, I still perform, I'm playing with a new band and I'm still recording and, you know, and it's not enough just when I'm playing drums in my house but I really get in my zone when we're doing a gig, when we're in the studio, you know, what, and, and it's not so much. You're on stage. It, it's, yeah, it, it's not so much the stage thing. It's just having the community. And you mentioned that in running, uh, doing the Ironman thing is it, there's a community. There's people that you're swimming with and biking with. And, right. and, you don't and do like it alone. for me, yeah, exactly. you know, you're, when I'm doing music, I'm not doing it alone. But it could be anything that gives you joy. It could be riding your horse. I mean, it, it's, it can be you know. sports. It can be theater. It can be 
museums, it can be church, it can be volunteering, whatever, you know, whatever it is. But I think that's really important for me. I know it is to, to have some kind of outlet and something that, that I can rely on that, that puts me in my zone. And so I, I think that's, you know, it, it's been very useful in my life. Not that Iron Man's, <laughs> they, they happen to be a little bit extreme, I have to admit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that that's kind of an extreme thing. But I, I love this concept of, and we need to talk more about that. I'm going to try to talk to our team about this, of, of reminding people, find that thing, that activity whatever it is that gives you joy that look for your zone, what it finds your zone. And, and it seems to me that's part of the problem. And of course, our, especially for young adults is where is that zone for you? Find that zone. It's, I give drum lessons, uh, you know, to students and, and I wish every student and, you know, from my vantage point could learn, learn how to play an instrument because I think that, that may be their zone, but it may not be. But find it, like you said, sports, whatever that, go to museums, being involved in church, whatever it happens to be, find that. And I don't think we talk enough about that because that's really going back to what um, we talked about a moment ago and what Josh and I talked a lot about is coping. Maybe we'd all be a little bit better off by finding whatever our zone is. And that could help us in the big picture learn how to cope better. Yeah, I'm definitely not a, um, a psychologist or, you know, have none of that training. Uh, sure. Just, just, just enough life experience. I've been around a long time by now. <laughs> no, and I, I like that whole thing because it's life experience. That's reality, you know? And, and I think real people can relate to that. I mean, the authenticity you have, the genuineness, and yes, we need the psychologists, we need the pharmacists too, we need the data nerds, but, you know, just that realness of saying, you know, obviously you quantified it and qualified saying, hey, I'm not saying everybody should go out and do a, you know, be an Ironman triathlon. And, and you know, I, I'm still thinking on my bucket list, maybe someday I could run half a marathon, you know, and that might lead to a full marathon. But, you know, you combine all that stuff. But I think the idea is find something, guys. Find, find something. Don't sit, you know, and, and I think the isolation from COVID continues on. I mean, I love having a, a, you know, a smartphone that can do just about anything. It frustrates me to no end sometimes when it doesn't work right. But I think sometimes we just kind of find ourselves slipping into to our iPad or our iPhone or our smartphone and just isolating ourselves. And that's not necessarily a place, that's not the zone I think necessarily we need to be in. Because I think it breeds that isolation on top of isolation. Yeah. One thing that, and maybe I learned this from my mother, but this is what I enjoyed the most about being a pharmacist was being able to help other people. Mm. And, and my mother would always say, if you want to get out of yourself, go help somebody else. Oh, oh, that's huge. And, and I think, you know, that's, a, that's another coping mechanism. You know, I think mm-hmm. camaraderie. And, and finding your zone and then, you know, doing something for somebody else. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're, they're all skills that, that we can all incorporate into our lives that, you know, make this world a little better place for sure. Absolutely. I mean, there's always, you know, and, and, and having an attitude where you're grateful. Absolutely. You know, for what you have. And, and for me, one of the many things is if I see somebody who's in a wheelchair or missing an arm or a leg or whatever, just saying, 
I'm thankful. I may think I've got a lot of stuff to struggle with. I don't have that, you know, and finding all those things that we're grateful for. Somebody is, is watching the show. They're listening to the show and they're struggling with a variety of things. Maybe it has gotten into an addiction. Maybe it's the temptation of wanting to take more, whatever it happens to be in, in staying on this theme of, of the opioid crisis or whatever. Where do they, they find that one person and then do they rely upon that one person to take them to someone or is it going to one person? Maybe also you mentioned independent pharmacies or even telling, I suppose, telling your primary doctor. Absolutely. One of the things that I experienced firsthand, there was a a self-help group in our town. It was Uh, uh, developed by a father whose son died and he overdosed and it became his mission that he was going to just create a community of awareness where people could come and talk. Mm. You know, and so I know that there's all kinds of those kinds of groups around that, you know, promote that type of thing. And Mm -hmm. that was such a moving experience for me. I just, I took a friend with me. I sat and I listened and, you know, there was tears, there was joy, there was laughter, there was sharing, there was camaraderie. You know, there's so many people struggling. And when I think that you realize you're not struggling alone, that was a, a really... A powerful moment for me where this sense of community, I saw just people coming together, willing to help other people. Hmm. And so that's a source of of help. I mean, that seems to me like a huge source of help. Somebody listening to the conversation saying, okay, where do I begin? I'm not aware of something like that, but where do I find something like that? I mean, do we go and just Google online or start asking around or all of the above? I think all of the above, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm the resource of resources for. for Sure. I don't know. I know enough to be dangerous. I'm the (laughs) pharmacy nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to try to point people in that direction. And I want to go back to something you just said too. You took a friend to one of these. I did. I I think I took a friend that had a struggling loved one. It was not the, the loved one that I didn't take the person it was a support for a support. Nice. And, and I, that I think we need to be willing and open to that possibly is find somebody, you know, if you're struggling, find somebody who can support you and go with you. Right. There's no stigma. There's no shame. You've got that support there. And you took a friend who had somebody else and, and the support of the support and don't be afraid to go to one of these groups, one someplace and get help for somebody that you love and you care about. And I I will also share that, you know, if someone is addicted, I guarantee you that there's loved ones that are hurting just as badly as the person that's addicted. Absolutely. It's not in isolation. And so this is a family thing. And and it's really a painful disease for all those afflicted. And it is. It's a huge source of pain. And if if somebody wants to follow you, I appreciate you joining us on Utah. We're going to have to chat again because you say you're not going to pretend to be the resource of resources, but you're a good resource for us in in this area of of pharmacy and data in clarifying things that that are not being put out there accurately and, and helping to educate. But how can 
people keep up with you on social media? And, and I'm, I'm on Instagram. I'm active on LinkedIn, more so on the business purpose. Um, okay. But, you know, if, if anyone has a specific question, please, you know, instant message me. I'll answer right away. If, oh, if, thank you. If I can find an answer for you, I will. I'm a really good oh. researcher. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I, I hope so, being with SAS, so. <laughs> or SAS, I guess, is the way we're supposed to refer to it. But anyway, thank you. It's great to have you on the show. We'll chat it was again. A pleasure. And to, we to really the, appreciate you. To all those young people out there listening, life's worth living. Educate thank yourself. You for reminder. Educate yourself. Make really good decisions based on knowledge. It's very powerful. Oh, thank you for the reminder. Okay. We, we I, really I, I, appreciate it. I very much enjoyed the opportunity. It was nice to meet you. Great to meet you too. Thank you. This is You Talk Radio. 